Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Ward. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Debbie Pacheco, the Director of Case Management for Providence St. John's Health Center in Santa Monica, California. Debbie, who hails from New Mexico, started off her career as a nurse, which that decision actually happened on a whim, and she shares a little bit more about that in today's episode. Once she became a nurse, she had an opportunity to then transition to case management, which she did, and ultimately ended up here in California. Debbie shares how she leveraged her experience as a cheerleader to cheerlead her own team in today's world and how in the case management role, it's actually a large revenue generator for the hospital. So learn more about that, more about Debbie in today's episode of Pop Health Podcast. Thanks everybody, enjoy the show. Debbie, thanks so much for joining the show today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. My colleague uh, has spoken highly of you, my colleague Ling, and appreciate you making the time and your busy schedule. So um, just a little bit about the show. We actually start getting to know you a little bit, Debbie, before we jump into kind of what I like to say, the meat and potatoes of our content today. Sure. So um, a little bit about yourself. What's something outside of the workplace, like a fun fact, hobby, something that might surprise us? Um, I was a cheerleader all through high school and college. That surprises a lot of people, but it shouldn't because, um, well, I guess people that know me. Well, so I'm a cheerleader with uh, most things that I'm passionate about. Well, as a leader, I think cheerleading is uh, still an important <laughs> part of the role as a director of case management. So you mentioned uh, high school and college. Uh, share with us a little bit about where you grew up. I grew up in a small town in New Mexico, the other Las Vegas small population, about 15,000 people, two high schools. It was a very um, idyllic place to grow up. Um, everybody knew everybody. You know, everybody's parents watched out for everyone else. It was just a really nice environment that I grew up in. Um, still friends with a lot of people I went to high school with, uh, keep in contact to this day, um, and are some of my very best friends. So I, I really feel like it... Um, made me who I am today. Now, you said it's the other Las Vegas. Uh, what do you mean by that? Is, is it actually named Las Vegas? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't know. I'm, yeah. Wow. I'm four decades in, and I did not know. That's pretty cool. It's a little town in northern New Mexico. That is awesome. And if you're going to, have you have you been back since you've been in California? Oh, yeah. I go back. Every few years, I'll go back for my high school homecoming. I get invited back to uh, the university I graduated from was there. And um, I've had alumni invitations to go back. And I used to teach there a lot. Okay, nice. So do you drive or fly? I fly into Albuquerque and then drive to Las Vegas. It's about an hour and 45 minutes north of Albuquerque. Okay, awesome. Well, I I got a fun fact to tell uh, my friends and family. There's a second Las Vegas. I think a lot of us <laughs> did, not, did not realize that. Yeah. So, uh, so you grew up in New Mexico. At what point were you thinking of nursing as a career? Well, to be honest, when I was in high school, I knew I was going to do medicine. I just didn't know what. Okay. And I was really dead set on it. Um, I had an extra um, class as a senior where we could do um, research project. You could do um, 
not really volunteer, but you could go out and work in the community doing something that would allow you to have that credit. And then you have to report on it at the end of the semester. So I chose to go work at a rehab facility. And I worked with a, with a physical therapist that did um, physical therapy with kids that were born with um, congenital problems. And I, and I loved it. There were parts to it I didn't really like, but for the most part, just the helping part of it, I really enjoyed. So when I got into college, um, an opportunity came to me to go to the University of New Mexico that had a school of medicine. It's called the Minorities in Medicine. But I went to college when I was 17 years old. I'm a, I was born late in the year. I'm a November baby. So I went to college very young. And when I went to that program, I think that I wasn't, um, I just wasn't at a place where I could really understand the impact of that. Yeah. And so when I came back, I was like, I cannot devote eight years of my life to anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I finished. I, I tried to finish my undergraduate degree. And then in the middle of the whole thing, my grandmother was having eye surgery. And my mom and I had taken her to the hospital to have this done in Albuquerque. And one of the nurses there told me, you know, you'd be a really good nurse. And my mom said, why don't you go to nursing school? And I said, well, why don't I? <laughs> so I did. I did. And, it, and I think I landed in the perfect place for me. So was it truly like that moment completely changed things or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because wow. I wasn't, I wasn't happy at the time I was uh, taking some graduate level classes and my sister is a year and 10 months older than I am. And she um, had gone to graduate school and we had the same undergrad degree and uh, she was working in Idaho at an engineering lab at the time. And I just kind of felt a little lost and when my mom said that, I said, well, it's a perfect thing because I really want to be part of medicine. I don't know that medical school was the track for me, but I think nursing is because it's a lot of hands-on. Yeah. And from that day forward, I've never looked back. Wow. That is really cool. Um, I've asked the question a few times to other folks, but I don't recall an answer being like a moment right? It's usually kind of over time or they have a parent or family member who's a nurse or doctor, whatever the question, whatever their you know, profession is. So yeah. that, that's really cool. That's a great story. So you end up going to nursing school and then you ended up being an, um, I'm a, well, I don't know actually much about your nursing career, just that you were a nurse before getting into, and I'm guessing frontline, maybe in management, tell us kind of your journey into nursing. And then ultimately- so I, I started off in Las Vegas, there was a 42 bed acute care facility. And if you had um, more than one patient that could get up and walk to the bathroom, you were, it was really a lot of elderly people that were very ill, that were bedridden, that it was, it was a tough first go around at nursing because I got out of school knowing how not to hurt anybody, yeah. but I didn't really feel like I knew much more than that. Okay. I did, but it's a scary thing. And I went to a two-year program. I, I was an ADN when I started out, and but I learned a lot about time management. I learned a lot about prioritizing, you know, your day. I learned a lot from that little job because a, an instructor told me in my ADN program, do a year of med surge. It'll make you appreciate a specialty later on. And if you're in a specialty, you're going to really appreciate the nurses that do med surge for a career. Yeah, no good. So I did it. 
Yeah, I did it. And after that first year, I worked mid-surge. I worked in the ER there. And then I applied for a job at a level one trauma center, the only level one in New Mexico, the University of New Mexico. And I applied for a job on a cardiac step-down unit. And they hired me. <laughs> I got there and I realized like all the things I didn't know. I mean, the hospital I came from, we were letting rule out MIs go outside and smoke with a telemetry box and the IV, and they were smoking outside in front of the hospital. We didn't let anybody out of our sight at UNM. I learned so much that first year I was there. I bet. I was married at the time, and my ex-husband is an electrical engineer for Sandia National Labs, and he was going to get his, uh, they were going to pay for him to get his master's in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. At Georgia Tech. So we went and I worked for Emory University and I worked for, um, oh, a Piedmont Hospital. Okay. I worked in a little clinic for Piedmont and I worked in the ER at um, Crawford Lawn. And again, the things I learned, I, to this day, I'll never forget. And uh, I learned how to triage when I was there. And I know that, you know, to some people, when you say that, they think, well, that's just all part of nursing. Well, I think there's an art to triage. And um, I run by the book. And I had a guy walk in past my little triage station. And I said, excuse me, you'll need to come back here. And you'll need to do this, that, the other. And then I'll tell you. And, you can go back. He, and he, I said, do you understand? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, could you come back? And he goes, no. And I said, why not? And he says, I have a knife in my back. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I really, in those first few years as a nurse, I learned so much. And I went back to UNM probably about a year later, a year or so later, and um, started working in the ER there. And UNM will always be my home. That's where I grew up as a nurse. Uh, they afforded me so much in education outside of my job um, that was free, that was, um, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was a place where learning was encouraged and expected. Yeah. And I learned wow. how to be autonomous. I learned how to, you know, that I needed to know more than the, the residents because they were relying on us just as much as we were relying on them but the patients were relying on both of us. So we needed to have really good outcomes. I worked ER. I worked, um, I was a flight nurse for many years. Oh, wow. And I worked in the intensive care unit. And I okay. ran the pediatric ER for a couple of years. Okay, wow. So uh, I'm not, there's not a lot of pediatric ERs, um, you know, in general. But so you're, you're learning all these skills, you're getting specialties picked up. And then I know today, obviously you're a director of case management. So at what point, where you're like, you know what, let me, let me jump into case management. So after 20 some odd years, I got a letter in the mail and it said, um, UNM is trying to reach magnet status. We want our ADNs to become BSNs. Um, I was, I worked nights all the years I was at UNM. I worked at night. It was convenient for my kids growing up. I had three kids and um, they were all about five years apart. So at one point I had one in elementary, one in junior high, one in high school. So it was just easier for me to be present for them if I had to during the day or to pick them up or to run things over to the school, whatever it was, to work at night. So I get this letter in the mail and it says, you know, you have X amount number of years to get your BSN. 
So I started the BSM program. Like next day, I walked up the hill, said, hey, can I get into BSM yeah. program? They said, sure. And, you know, did all the paperwork I was in. And I kept thinking, how can I sustain this working at night, having kids and going to school? And I wasn't going full time. I was taking a class every semester. Um, and I got home one day. I was trying to look for a daytime position in the unit and there wasn't one. And there were people ahead of me that, you know, had been there longer that were trying to transition. I got home one morning and the phone rang and I answered it was a recruiter. And he said, you know, the wave of the future is case management. You know, are you aware of this? And, you know, on and on. And I was, I hadn't really, I worked at night, so I didn't see case managers at night. So we talked quite a bit and, and I said, well, can you tell me what hospital? Because there's only three hospital systems there. And he said, well, it's not the one you work for. And I said, oh, well, okay. <laughs> you want to interview? And I said, sure. I mean, it was a daytime position, uh, eight hours a day. And I thought, you know, I could, I could finagle that. So I did. I went and I interviewed. And the first thing they asked me is, what do you know about case management? And I said, well, I know a little bit. I said, I used to work with a trauma program. I said, and they had a case manager. And that person kind of looked at their insurance and what the transition of care would be. And they said, well, you're close, you know, and we talked a little bit more about it. And then a few days later, they called me and said, if you want the job, it's yours. So I took it. I left UNM and it was very difficult to leave that place. And um, I went to Presbyterian and I became the, I spent like three or four months on days training. Okay. Totally different world than what I was used to. Completely yeah. You know, I didn't know anything about Medicare. I didn't know anything about Medicaid. I didn't know anything except I had a really good clinical background. So when I would hear, well, we're going to keep the patient another day because I'm like, no, mm -mm, they're fine. They can go. Let's get them outpatient services. Things like that I could clue into pretty easily. Yeah. So um, I don't know. It just worked out. And then I went to the ER at night. I, I went back to nights for a while and one morning I got an email from my boss and said, there's a manager position open. I think I had been a case manager maybe for seven months. Wow. Okay. And she said, there's a manager position open and we'd really like for you to apply. And I was hesitant because my daughter was starting high school and I really wanted to have time to spend with her. She was my last child. And um, I just really wanted that time with her. And so I was kind of hesitant. So I met with her, with my boss, and, she, and I asked, can, if I don't like it, can I go back down to being a case manager? And she said, yeah, you might not like it, but, you know, I'd let you, I would let you stay around. So I applied. I got the job. And again, I've never looked back. Yeah. So... It was a really good experience at press. I mean, they have case management. I mean, they, they, they're just good at it. And, awesome. and they realize that it's connected to their revenue. Yeah. So if we have gaps, how are we going to fill them? How are we going to, what are we going to do to make it so that we don't have that gap? So we move people through the continuum appropriately. Yeah. Talk about that really quickly, um, Debbie, about it's connected to revenue. So, and before, before you answer, uh, for our audience, you know, I've heard things like 
you know, case management is a revenue generating department or is the main revenue generating department. And for all of us who might work in post-acute care, you know, we understand discharge and we, we know it a little bit, but Debbie, tell us about how a case manager makes money for the hospital or is a moneymaker. You're making certain that your patients are in the right class, that you are, if, if we're giving you inpatient services that we're not billing Medicare as an outpatient service or as an observation service that puts more of the um, the bill on the patient if they have Medicare that doesn't generate that appropriate revenue. So if I'm spending, you know, say it's $40,000 on your treatment and Medicare is giving us a DRG for pneumonia, but then I have you in the wrong, in the wrong level of care and I have you in observation, we're going to get a quarter of that. Yeah. And then the patient's going to get stuck with probably 15 to 20% of that bill. So why not put you in the right category, get the most revenue for what we're doing and the least cost to our patient. That sounds, that sounds great. But, we just need, and when you say DRG, most of our audience knows what that means, but can you break that down really quickly for those that may not? So the DRG, you know, is what, what they've come up with. So for instance, the DRG for pneumonia, this is the rate they're going to pay for the services that you render. So even if I give you 400 boxes of Kleenex, doesn't matter. They're, we're only going to get, you know, so much money for that, for that um, diagnosis related yeah. group. And that's what DRG stands for. So we're only going to get so much money. So to treat you, I want to, I want to do it efficiently. I want to do it the right way. And I want to get you out of the hospital within that geometric length of stay that has been determined by, you know, CMS or the, the tools that we use, Interqual or MCG, that tell us, you know, for, for this straightforward pneumonia case, you only have four days to be in the hospital. In that time, I need to make sure that you're doing well, that you're getting the medication that you need and the treatments that you need so that your outcome is better and you don't come back to the hospital as a readmission. Thanks for breaking that down, Debbie. So you, you're, you know, you're raised in New Mexico, you go to Georgia, you come back, and then eventually, today you're in California. So you moved out to California just a, a few years ago. What was the inspiration or catalyst for that? Catalyst. So I finished my BSN and I was like, woohoo, um, I'm not going back to school for a while. I did want to get my master's. Um, B.E. Smith had come a calling a few years before I did that and said, we can easily place you anywhere in the United States if you have a master's degree. We can with a bachelor's, but I could get you in a better position with a master's degree. So here I was laying all over my laurels on my BSN, and my son worked at the same hospital that I worked at. He was a clerk in the ED. Okay. And he came up to my office and dropped a big stack of papers on my desk, and he said, oh, by the way, I joined... Um, <laughs> the Army National Guard. I said, the who? And he said, yeah. He goes, I'll be leaving to Fort Benning, Georgia in October. I've never been away from my kids for more than a couple of overnights, maybe. And I was very, very close. He's my oldest. And um, I thought, I better do something. I'll never survive boot camp. I'll be beside myself. So got onto the computer enrolled in an online program and away I went while he was gone. And I finished my master's in 10 months. Nice. So I had just gotten the notification that my degree was conferred and I was good. And uh, First String Health called me 
and said, hey, are you looking for an opportunity um, to move up in case management? And I said, well, I'm already a manager here. And they said, well, we have a position in San Pedro, California. And would you be interested in interviewing? And I said, sure. So Gilbert Dorado calls me and we start talking and he's from New Mexico and he's the director for ah. case management there. And he's from Las Cruces, New Mexico. I know he's Gilbert, there. but but I didn't know the New Mexico connection. So, yeah, so we yeah. start talking, we hit it off. It was great. He goes, I would really like for you to come out here. And I said, I'd really like to come out there. <laughs> so I talked to my ex-husband who, by the way, used to work here in LA for Northrop Grumman. Oh, yeah. Okay. So he knew the whole LA scene. And he said, if somebody offered me that package, he said, I'd already be packing my clothes. He said, <laughs> I need to do this. And so I did. And um, I was an interim there for almost about a year. I, uh, When Gilbert got promoted to take over Torrance and San Pedro, I went with him to Torrance. And then B.E. Smith found me and said, we really have a position that I think you'd really enjoy at Martin Luther King in Compton. And so I told Gilbert, I got to go. I, I want to be back in a, like a county facility. And so I did. I went for, I was there from May to September. They found a replacement for my position. So my contract ended. Okay. So it was like a travel, uh, like a travel or interim assignment. Yeah, it was. An, okay. I was an interim there also. So um, I took that and just loved it. I had a great time. My contract ended and B.E. Smith found me a permanent position in El Paso, Texas, which was great because my daughter was going to college 30 minutes from there. Ah. So I thought I can be close, but not too close. <laughs> and yes. um, unfortunately, it didn't work out the way I thought. It would, they had um, some issues with um, CMS compliance. Got it. And I ended up firing half my staff. Oh. And so it just wasn't a situation that I wanted to be, to continue to be a part of. So I went back to traveling and I went up to um, Sutter in Northern California. Yeah. And I got there on a Saturday and we went into lockdown that Wednesday. Because COVID. of COVID. Oh, yeah. Okay. And the two cruise ships that they had sitting in the bay that they wouldn't let dock because everybody had COVID. Yeah. We got the worst ones at, at Sutter, at um, Alta Bates, where I was at. I've been there. So you you were thrown into the lion's den of COVID. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> I had people calling me and saying, oh, we don't know if we're going to be able to fly you home because part of the contract is you get to fly home every two weeks. Okay. Got it. So they're like, we don't know. We'll let you get a rental car. I'm like, I don't like to drive. And I thought, I'm going to be stuck here without seeing my family. Oh, it was horrible. But, wow. you know, it all worked out. And I was able to fly during the pandemic. And I did go home quite a bit. And um, then I talked to Gilbert in January of 2020. And he said, you know, we have... Um, couple of director positions that are open right now, one in Santa Monica, and then my position in Torrance. Yeah. And um, I said, well, can I come back as a traveler? And he said, nope, if you come back, it has to be permanent because we don't want to keep travelers on. And I, so I understood and he had been promoted to the region. And um, so it took a little bit of time, but I showed up back here August of 2020 and I took over 
um, St. John's. All right. Awesome. Look at that. Great story. And um, yeah, you've really gave us a, a good journey of where you've been. So we've got to know you a little bit. Let's jump into case management. So we talked a little bit about the revenue generation. Yeah. Besides that and making sure your team is coding, you guys aren't billers necessarily, but you help you know coordinate and ensure the billers have the right info. Um, so what does success look like for you as a leader in case management specifically at, well, actually, let me, let me, let's hold on that question. One second, Debbie, tell us very briefly about Providence and specifically Providence St. John's health center. So Providence St. John's is, is uh, Providence as a whole. One of the things that led me back here was just the atmosphere within the ministries. Um, I'm, I was raised Catholic, so to be in a ministry that, you know, uses reflections at the beginning of every meeting, that when I was in um, San Pedro, there was a prayer every morning on the overhead. Uh, that meant a lot to me. Um, and I fell and shattered my wrist um, when I was first in San Pedro. And I remember the chaplain come to my door every single day when I came back to check on me every day. Wow. And some days he'd pray with me. Other days he'd just pop his head in and say hello. I mean, people didn't really know me, but they treated me like I had been there forever. Awesome. And that's the feeling I get here at St. John's also. And um, I feel like, you know, the minute you're in the door, people want to make you feel like you belong here, like they want you to be here. Uh, a lot of facilities that I was interim at, um, people were very good to me, but there's just a, something special in the Providence Ministries. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, that's awesome. So you, you're using the term ministries and just um, for folks out there, Providence calls its hospitals ministries. Mm -hmm. So um, just a heads up there. So, okay. So thank you for sharing about problems. I know it's one of the biggest health systems as well in the Western part of the United States. Right. Um, I think the official name is like Providence St. Joseph Health, but they go by Providence. Yes. So your uh, ministry is located in Santa Monica, California. Yes. Parking is brutal over there. Brutal. <laughs> Even for us. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that from some of the staff. So uh so yeah, let's let's jump back into the question I asked and I cut myself off. Success. Right. Success here to me means, you know, controlling our costs, you know, controlling our length of stay. We have a big Medicare population. We want to make certain that they're maintaining as many as their Medicare days for their for their own use as as patients, right? Yeah. You don't want to keep them in the hospital unnecessarily and eat up their days and go into their lifetime reserve, and then they need to be placed and they have nothing left because they've spent all their days in and out of acute care. So I think managing that, having great patient outcomes because we've managed their care here in the acute care facility is really important, not just to me, but to all our team. And the other part to that is, of course, I wanna meet the metrics set forth by the region, but I also wanna have people that wanna be here and wanna work. And awesome. You know, since the pandemic started, that's been a very difficult circumstance because of the fear of becoming ill. Um, just the whole feeling from the pandemic, you know, it affected everybody. I think their mental health, their physical health, and you wanted to hang on to those people. So how do we do that? How do we make, you know, the department that we work in 
somewhere where people get in the car in the morning and they don't mind driving here. Because, you know, to get to Santa Monica is not an easy venture. And not a lot of people can live here in Santa Monica because of the price of real estate. Yeah. So that's what I've really worked hard, not just to meet the metrics, but how do we make it so that we're having a great time doing it maybe so that we're not just focusing solely on that, but on each other and come together as a team. So if we win together, we celebrate together. If we lose, we lose together and we figure out how to make it better. One thing I didn't do when I came in here was customize it to me. Yeah. Good. That was not, and and I think the first few months I was here, people had a really hard time. They were waiting for that shoe to drop, right? They were waiting for me to say, we're not doing any of this anymore. We're doing it my way. And I told them, we're going to have to figure out how we can do things better, be better with what we have and improve in the areas that we know we can, but we're not going to restructure everything. Some of the things I changed, the way we do the scheduling, you know, I want the schedule out a week at a time so everybody can see where everybody's at for a whole week at a time. Instead of daily, it was taking up a big chunk of our morning to go through that. Um, Little changes, but as far as big things, we went through a redesign that was uh, prompted by the region. And we went through that during the summer. And I'm very proud of my team to say we met all the deadlines, and we were the first team to go live uh, with the redesign, meaning that all the people that, all my direct reports are all case managers. The social workers have an assignment just like the nurses do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was really important to, to support them. And if I had to answer the same question 16 times, so be it. Yeah. I wanted them to feel like they really understood the direction this team was going in. When I got here, it was operating in silos. The social workers were doing their thing. The case managers were doing their thing. And the two should never meet. And now I feel like we we really work as a team. You know, we, we rely on the social workers for their specialized knowledge. And they rely on us for our specialized knowledge, the nurses. Yeah, And it has really brought everybody together. Awesome, Debbie. And I know in a lot of places, you know, obviously case management and social work work hand in hand and need to be aligned. Uh, most of our audience has a general idea of, you know, case managers handling the medical, social workers handling maybe family dynamics, but maybe can you define the difference briefly for us from your lens? So from our team right now, it's everybody doing the same thing. Okay. But prior to the redesign, the social workers worked off consults. So you as the physician put in the order, you know, that you wanted a social work consult on your patient, maybe because of homelessness or financial problems, or no insurance, or, you know, family dynamics, anything like, you know, that pertained to them, that was a trigger to them, they came and saw the patient. With the change in the redesign, which is what I'm more commonly used to seeing in the hospitals that I've been in, is that everybody works together. Everybody's a case manager. There's no delineation between the RN and the social worker. So, but you, you have a social worker on your unit and you have a nurse on the unit. So when you're going to rounds in the morning, you might tell your social worker, you know what, this case seems more social work heavy. And this other one that you have maybe seems more medically heavy. So I'll take that and you take this one. And that's what they've gotten used to doing. But they, they really, I'm so proud of how well they work together because I was really afraid 
because there's always been this disconnect between the two groups because the nurses make more money than the social workers. Got it. And everybody knows that that's the elephant in the room. So why should I do the same work as the nurse and get paid less? And Providence is addressing that. Oh, wow. And they're working really hard to come up with, you know, a great compensation for the social workers. Because if you are going to do that job and you are going to follow the case from start to finish and get them transitioned, it's yeah. the same thing that the nurses do. So I'm really proud to work in a facility that really, truly gets to the heart of the problem and doesn't sugarcoat it with $1.50 an hour. Gotcha. Well said. So a lot of our audience who would be working with your team or like teams, whether it's with other Providence ministries or just in general across the nation, a lot of our audience are in the post-acute care space or, you know, skilled nursing, home health, medical groups, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them work with folks like yourself or seek to work with folks like yourself and be a resource and, and work hand in hand. So yeah. as a director, you probably get approached a lot by quote unquote vendors, right? Post-acute providers to try to earn the opportunity to serve your patients. Could you maybe in the next couple, briefly in a minute or so, talk to us about what's one of the worst approaches you've seen from a post-acute provider? One of the worst was uh, we, we allow people to do teams meetings with our team. You know, somebody that maybe wants to get on the home health list or the hospice list or whatever. And we, we had a team's meeting and the lady was during the meeting, like most people say, this is what we offer. We're different from A, B, and C because we have this. But she was just honing in on get me on that list. I want to be able to come in and see your page. I mean, she was very direct like that. Yeah. Everybody on the call felt uncomfortable oh. because nobody knew what the end point was. Like, how, when is she going to stop here? When is she going to not? like press. And she kept asking me, you know, so when can I see the list? When, when are you going to put my name on it? I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't even know that I want you on the list to be honest. Yeah. So that high pressure push is not good. Yeah. Um, I've had other people contact us and say, you know, is anybody offering you this? I have people, I have people on my staff and we represent five different languages or, you know, we can really connect with your Japanese population or, so, you know, something. And I really appreciate that. But above all, I appreciate people being honest with me when they cannot take a case and picking yeah. up the phone when we call. Those two things, I'm telling you, go 500 miles more than anything else. Got it. So just to recap... Uh, don't just ask to be on the list. Yes. The good, that was the negative. The positive was separate yourself. The language thing you mentioned, the Japanese population, that's a great example, I think, that you gave. Um, and also picking up the phone, I know, is a big one. Uh, in today's that's COVID huge. world, yeah, in today's COVID world where phones may be forwarded or people working remotely, um, I have to say uh, that can be, it's more of an issue than I've ever seen before. And uh, I've never faced it uh, as blatant as I have in this last year. I had somebody tell me, and do not ever call me after four o'clock. <laughs> I was like, wait, that's when the party gets started. Wait, they actually said those words? Don't ever call me after four o'clock because I have to have separation between my job and my private life. And I was like, so do I. But I mean, I answer the call when I answer the call. <laughs> Wow. Very interesting stuff. Well, I'm going to check my notes. I had a lot of questions I wanted to ask you, Debbie, and you've been great sure. handling all of them. Um, yeah, I think that's it. So if folks um, 
Debbie Pacheco has been our guest, Director of Case Management at St. John's Health Center in Santa Monica. Uh, Debbie, if folks want to follow you and kind of see what you're up to, I know you're on LinkedIn. Is it okay for folks to connect with you there? Absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn, Debbie Pacheco. All right. Awesome. Well, again, Debbie, you've been a great guest. Thanks for sharing your story and your journey and a little bit about your leadership as you cheerlead there <laughs> at Providence in a permanent position, no longer traveler, Debbie. Yes. Um, and shout out to Gilbert for uh, for locking you in in that permanent position. <laughs> Thank uh, you so much for having me. It's been great. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.